The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, I give my impressions from my recent quick two-day trip to Walt Disney World. It was great to be back, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. If you're looking to plan a trip to Disney World, Disneyland, or Universal, you can let me be your travel agent at no cost to you. Get started today by emailing josephchung at travelmation.net. You can also support the podcast by finding our Patreon at patreon.com slash Deciphered, or by leaving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. You can find old episodes of the podcast there, or on Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you find podcasts. You can also connect with us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter, or on our Facebook page, Disney Deciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. And welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So after a long 15 months, it is time for a Disney Deciphered trip report. I was in Disney World, so we are going to split this up into two episodes. The first episode, we are going to give just a general overview of what the trip was like to give you a feel for what the parks are like right now if you're visiting. And then in our second episode, I'll give some more specific tips on what you need to know if you're traveling to the parks right now. Before we get started, we want to give a shout out and thank you to Monica L for a recent one-time donation via PayPal. If you're interested in making a donation or supporting the podcast, you can check us out on patreon.com slash Decipher, where you can make a one-time donation or you can subscribe for bonus content. And speaking of bonus content, since we are taking trips again, Leslie is going to Disneyland in a couple of weeks. You know, we will be doing live trip reports from when we're on the trips. But of course, you can get our summarized trip reports here on the main feed. So, Leslie, ask me anything. Let's uh, talk about this trip that I took. All right. Well, being the av geeks that we are, I first want to hear about your flight down there. I mean, it's been a long time since you've been on a plane, Joe, right? Yeah. So the whole point of the trip was I've taken each of my kids on a solo trip before they turned three. And my goal was to take my youngest daughter before she turned three. But then, of course, this whole pandemic situation happened. So unfortunately, I had to take her as a three-year-old, which means she was no longer free, which made things more difficult because I had to get her park pass reservations. We'll talk more about that later. However, that did help on the flight. You know, she was a little older. I mean, she did not have as much experience as my kids did on their solo trips just because we had taken a lot more planes because there was no pandemic when they were two. But um, yeah, so we took a flight down from Boston to Orlando and it was a little weird flying, but uh, it wasn't too bad. The plane was pretty full, but we were in the bulkhead, so that wasn't too bad. I don't actually like being in the bulkhead because I like having my bag with me so that I can placate the child with snacks or iPads or whatever I need to, but, you know, that was fine. Now, the flight, I had some decisions to make, um, and this relates to people who have toddlers. I was considering renting a stroller from Orlando Stroller Rentals, who I normally rent from. However, I found out that, you know, they are mostly doing concierge service now, dropping off 
the strollers at the hotels and meeting you there. I was staying at the Dolphin, which means they could have dropped it off at Will Call. But I kind of wanted to have a stroller in MCO. Um, so I decided to bring my own umbrella stroller, which turned out to be a huge mistake because the kid did not want to sit in the stroller in the airport the entire time. So I was lugging a stroller plus my luggage. I didn't, I don't check bags, especially, you know, on a short two day trip with a three year old. So I was lugging the stroller, even though it's an umbrella stroller through the airport and severely regretting it. Yeah, that's a big airport to have to carry a stroller. Like I can see it's how it's useful if the kid is in it. But you know, she's in that weird stage, you know, where you do need a stroller at Disney World, but you don't really need it most of the rest of your life. So uh, fail. So we, we, we started off with a fail right at, right at the air travel part of it, right? Yeah. So the air travel itself was fine, but uh, all the decisions I made around it were not as fine. But, you know, of course it was okay. Uh, I probably will rent a stroller next time just to have like one less thing to worry about um, with my hands. But yeah, we got through the airport okay. I rented a car from Hertz. You know, I like to rent from places like Hertz and National because if you sign up for their their loyalty program, you can well in the past you were able to walk straight to just pick out a car from a certain row. They have done away with that since you may have read about the car rental apocalypse that's happening. You know, rental car companies have sold like half their fleets. So there's a lot fewer cars. However, you still don't have to wait in the main counter line. You get to go to the um, second counter, which the line is much shorter. I mean, there was no line when I went there. And so I got a car very quickly and I rented a car seat from them just because I knew I was bringing my stroller and I didn't want to carry something else. Now, one thing to note, uh, MCO, they used to be, you know, there's two sides. You can exit the airport, side A and side B, or they call it terminal A and terminal B, but it's the same building. You used to be able to rent cars on both sides, but now you can only rent from the A side, which is the opposite side of Magical Express. So that's something to know if you haven't been back in a long time. Make sure you go to A. I used to always go to B, so it was a little bit of an adjustment for me. Got it. And so just tell us your thinking, Joe, why did you decide to rent a car this time instead of taking Magical Express or Ubering or some other thing? Well, I wanted to avoid Uber because I know that they have Uber family there, but like with the whole car seat situation, I just didn't want to worry about that. And then with Magical Express, I just, oh, duh. I would not have taken Magical Express anyway, but I was staying at the Dolphin. So there was no Magical Express option. I would have had to take Dolphin transportation and I didn't (laughs) want to do that. Yeah, but I I would not have taken Magical Express anyway. I wanted to avoid buses as much as I could through the trip, and I avoided buses the entire trip, and Magical Express was part of that as well. Got it, got it. Well, that was an excellent segue into talking about the Dolphin. So that's a place I've never stayed before. Had you been there before, and and what were your impressions? No, I haven't been. It It was a nice hotel. The room was nice. It was comfortable. I had a nice view of looking out at the Swan, which is the sister hotel, which is very nice. The room was comfortable, although it was two full beds, it felt like. They did not feel like queens, which was fine for me and a three-year-old, but wouldn't have been less fine with a larger family. Now, the reason why I stayed at the Dolphin is because originally I was going to stay at Caribbean Beach Resort on an annual pass rate, but the Dolphin, I found out, had annual pass rates as well. And even though the Dolphin has an expensive $29, I want to say, parking fee and similar, like, again, $29, maybe they're not both $29, but it's like almost $60 in resort and parking fees. Despite that, it still came out to be cheaper than Caribbean Beach Resort. And, you know, Caribbean Beach... I don't mind taking the Skyliner everywhere, but staying at the Dolphin, the best thing about the Dolphin is you could walk to both Hollywood Studios and Epcot, which is why I want to stay there. Now, the ambiance did not feel as, I guess, magical or as Disney. It felt like it really felt 
more like being at like a Las Vegas hotel or something like that with like the music in the lobby and stuff like that. But that being said, we didn't spend a ton of time in the hotel except for to sleep. And I was very happy with my decision and happy to finally check out the dolphin. So you made me go Google really quickly the bed types at the Dolphin, and it is two doubles. And that's really interesting, especially given that Disney World has modified pretty much all of its value resort rooms that used to have two doubles into two queens now. So that's uh, definitely something to keep in mind for families. I mean, two doubles is a deal breaker for my family now that my kids are bigger. So very, very interesting, Marriott. All right. So overall, you seems like you're pretty happy with the Dolphin for this particular trip need. Tell us a little bit about how the walk was. Did you go to Hollywood Studios first? Yep. So I went to Hollywood Studios on my first day and yeah, the Dolphin, it's a convenient walk. It's about a 10 to 15 minute walk, depending on your pace. Hollywood Studios, uh, you kind of turn off before you get to the boardwalk if you're walking from Epcot to Hollywood Studios. So so you have about two thirds left of the walk between Epcot and Hollywood Studios if you are walking from the Dolphin. I mean, there's a little bit, you know, you have to walk from the Dolphin onto the main drag, but yeah, it was not bad. You know, it is April, so it was warm like 90 degrees however it was not humid i can imagine that that walk would be much more unpleasant um, even a month from now however you could also of course walk over to the international gateway at epcot and just uh, take the skyliner but the walk was super convenient to hollywood studios i started my trip at hollywood studios in fact, you know, the first attraction that I went on was uh, Muppet Vision 3D, which you guessed while uh, I was texting you on the trip, which uh, kudos to you. I don't know how you figure that one out. I know you very well, Joe. <laughs> when you're like, guess what we're doing first? And I said, yep, Muppet Vision 3D. <laughs> yeah, so we started with Muppet Vision 3D and we had a good day at Hollywood Studios. Um, in fact, that first day, you know, we had Park Hopper tickets or I have an annual pass, but I bought a Park Hopper ticket for my daughter. So we... Went to Hollywood Studios and then went to Epcot at night. Um, and so getting to Epcot, I took the Skyliner over there. One thing to note about the Skyliner, especially going to Epcot at night, is you know if you're going from Hollywood Studios, you have to make a transfer at Caribbean Beach Resort. And there actually is a line at Caribbean Beach Resort on the Epcot line just because you know a lot of people go to Epcot at night. So that's one thing to know. Uh, you know, it was only about 15 minutes, but still uh, it was weird to be waiting in a line for Skyliner. The reason why you're waiting in a line is because the Skyliner is only doing one family per vehicle, which uh, is nice. So, you know, I'll take that. Yeah, that's not bad, but it's not the instantaneous uh, delivery of human beings that I think a lot of us envision when we think about the Skyliner. So good yeah. good to know for, for Epcot dining in the evening because we do that as well. Our family a lot of times go, go at the end of the day to Epcot. And it definitely still beats the bus. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. It's all relative people. So, so Joe, how were uh, lines when you were there? I mean, certainly we've been hearing the news lately, especially during the spring break periods, about how crowds were really ticking up. And you were, of course, a little bit after that. So what did you experience? Yeah, so I did not run into a line that was longer than 30 minutes. And I could have completely avoided 30 minute long lines if I did not have a three-year-old with me who had strong opinions. I like got into lines knowing that it might be 30 minutes, but uh, the kid really wanted to ride them. I will say that uh, lines are weird with a three-year-old for sometimes, like if we're waiting for 20 minutes, it would be like nothing to her. But then sometimes we would wait for like five minutes and it would feel like it was pulling teeth. Like she was super impatient. So, you know, those of you who are with younger kids, you kind of know this, but depending on their whims, the lines might uh, have more of an effect on their attitude than you would think. Toddler life, preschool life. Yeah, that's fair. So so what was your worst line of the, I guess, first day, Hollywood Studios and Epcot? So we 
like overall got like six to nine attractions per day. You know, I think they say that getting to do 10 things per day is generally what makes people happy. We were a little bit under that just because, you know, three-year-old goes at a different pace. So the longest lines that I waited in overall were Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, probably the longest. That was at about 29, 30 minutes. And then the second longest line was probably Peter Pan the next day in Magic Kingdom for 25 minutes. But, you know, those are the two longest lines that we waited in. And even Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, by the time, you know, we rode it around 6.30 or 7. By the time we I was done with the 30-minute line, it already looked a lot shorter. And so, you know, it probably was only 20 minutes after I was done with that. So the lines really were not bad. Now, of course, it always looks bad because of the social distancing and the queues now. And it really is kind of confusing. Like, these queues spill out into, like, who knows where. Like, Peter Pan went through Columbia Harbor House. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway takes up, like most of the space in front of the Chinese theater, you will see these random markers on the ground. And like, it kind of became a game to me to figure out like, what attraction are these marker lines for when the queue is not completely full? It is weird having the line spill out. Len Testa from Touring Plant said he likes the spread out queue because it feels like it's moving more. I don't know if I agree with that. It does feel like it's moving more, but still, like, the physical distance of the line, psychologically, of course, again, I was with a three-year-old, so maybe this had an effect on it. It made it feel longer to me, even though it was, like, only a 25-minute line. I don't know. Take it or leave it. There's nothing we can do about it right now. I mean, it just is the way things are, but it was definitely an adjustment dealing with the new ways that cues work. For sure. And and how are people these days, more than a year into the pandemic, doing with social distancing? Like, did you feel like people were generally on the stickers and keeping their distance? Or did you feel like people were starting to crowd a little bit more than maybe they did a few months ago? It was a little crowded. It didn't really bother me. I was noticing, like, it's not even impatience. It's just kind of you're mentally programmed to move forward when you see the person in front of you moving forward and you're kind of mentally programmed not to stop until you get to a certain point like even me like I wasn't always looking down at the ground at where I was supposed to stop and then at times I'd be like oh shoot I got too close to the person in front of me and then I'll start trying to back up and then of course the people behind me you know this is how accidents happen on the freeway right so I think uh it's something to be aware of if you're really concerned when I was like completely on and paying attention i would wait until the group in front of me was like all the way two markers ahead before i moved one marker that being said with what we understand about things now and the majority of these queues being outside like because they are drag on for so long like most of the queuing i was doing was outside i wasn't too concerned even if people got a little bit too close only one time there was like a big group of like 12 behind me and so i had to ask them it was their kids that kept like coming up really close to us um and so i was i had to ask them you know if they could back up a little bit but other than that it was pretty smooth overall and not too concerning you know i did not feel uncomfortable very often if at all in queues that's great that's good to hear that things are still operationally running pretty well and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about lines and some strategy points on that in our next episode so i I won't go too much more in depth on that let's turn to the topic that so many people want to hear about, food. How'd that go, generally speaking? Yeah, so my goal overall was not to eat inside if I could help it. And surprisingly, like it was very easy to meet that goal. 
We only did one table service restaurant. That was Grand Floridian Cafe. We had for breakfast on the day that we were going to Magic Kingdom so I could park at the Grand Floridian. And they have outdoor tables and no one was using them. All the quick service. And I was like, while I was walking around Disney, I just noticed so many more outdoor tables than I remembered. And I could not for the life of me figure out whether Disney had added more tables or whether they had always been there. And I had never noticed. But the bottom line is there were a ton of outdoor eating options. One thing I did get surprised by was that a lot of the menus have changed. So like ABC Commissary's menu has changed. Cosmic Rays has new things that they didn't have before. You know, I think that's something to be aware of. Like if you had been a bunch of times before the pandemic, you know, my mind is kind of like knows what to expect at different quick service restaurants that I normally go to. Make sure you kind of double check what's on the menu, which you're going to get to do because All of this quick server stuff, it's all mobile order now, which I'll talk more about next episode. But because of mobile order, you can check kind of what's on the menu before you get there. But I was very happy with the outdoor eating options. I think the trickiest thing was twice I got outside with my food and realized that I'd forgotten to get napkins and condiments, which is, of course, trivial if you're with your whole family, but a little bit more complicated when you have to drag a three-year-old back inside with you so make sure you get all your napkins and ketchup and stuff inside before you go outside and find your seat yes the challenge of solo parenting wherever you are but especially at a theme park definitely important to think about that so i don't think i've been solo with little little kids for a long time at least my my older one usually can watch the other one so yeah yeah it's been a while it's been a while and oh the last thing i'll say about dining is i was like worried so spring break was over. However, there was no park pass reservations the entire week that I was there. So I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to get a table. But I think because they spread out the dining windows, you know, if a restaurant is crowded, you won't be able to order food like immediately. You'll have to wait till like half an hour or 45 minutes later. There was never a problem. Even with a three-year-old, I like normally I would avoid more busy times to eat. But with a three-year-old, you know, I was more kind of on a standard schedule, but I never had problem finding a table outside. So that was really refreshing as well. It was something that I was worried about before I went on the trip, but it was fine when I got there. Got it. Got it. Well, I know your daughter loves, I know your daughter loved waving at characters. So I presume you saw some uh, cavalcades and characters from afar. What's your take on that? I really enjoy the cavalcades. They were a bit more robust than I had thought. You know, it was like a three float procession or a three group procession in the princess cavalcade that we saw. And we also waved to the princesses from, you know, they were waving down from the main street train station. And we also saw Mickey and Minnie up there at some point. And that was a lot of fun. You know, for those of you who have not been with a three-year-old or are considering going with a three-year-old, one of the beauties of going with someone that young is that they think everything is real. This kid that I took, even more so than my first two, was completely lapping it up. Like whenever a princess would blow her a kiss, she would blow one back. And, you know, they had nice interactions even from the distance of the float. Yes, the streets would get lined when a cavalcade came through, but it was never more than two people deep. If even that, I mean, we were always at the front of the curb when a cavalcade came by, which meant they had like eight princesses on a single float and at least three of them like made direct eye contact with my daughter. So that was really great. So she really loved it. So we were happy with the cavalcades and I really like not having to commit an hour of my time to like wait for a parade. Uh, Even if I like I'm lining up for a parade last minute, it's still like 20 to 25 minutes to deal with a parade. Cavalcade is done in five minutes. And so we're super happy with that. And my daughter loved it. So, you know, I thought those were really good as everyone has been saying. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what Disneyland's going to do with those in a couple of weeks. I guess the, the big question is, Joe, did you feel like there was anything missing on this trip? I mean, sounds like it was successful, but... You know, your daughter doesn't know any better, (laughs) but you do. So anything that was a noticeable hole for you? Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to phrase it. Like she doesn't know any better, but I definitely did. And I remember how much my other two kids, when I took them on the equivalent trip, when they were about three years old, I remember how much they loved meeting the characters. And my daughter, who I took on this trip, I think would have loved that even more. Like just seeing how she interacted with the princesses and even Mickey and Minnie as cavalcades were passing by. She really loved those interactions. So I think she would have like lost her mind if she got to actually interact with the characters at a character meal or character meet and greet or like take pictures with them. Like whenever the cavalcades went away, she'd be like, oh, where are the, where are the princess going? And I'm like, oh, they're going to rest. And then she's like, oh, when are they going to be done resting? And we'd like talk about them like they were real characters. Well, if I could have been like, oh, they're going to go rest, but you know, maybe we can go see Ariel at her cove. I think she would have like completely lost her mind. So I was really missing that. I didn't miss the fireworks as much as I thought I would, but I think that's also, again, a function of having a three-year-old probably would not have made it to the fireworks. Actually, I don't know. We stayed out pretty late, but still like it was fine to not have the fireworks, but not having the characters that really uh, made me miss that. But of course she did not know any better. So she was super happy. However, I will say that like to me, the most noticeable difference, and this was something that I noticed just traveling in general, is that things are closed and you can feel that things are just not fully back yet. So at Disney, for example, I was on my last day back at Hollywood Studios and I was wandering around looking for some gifts. And I kind of generally go on this like gift shop loop through Hollywood Studios. Like I've done it a few times, but there was a couple of shops that I normally go into that were closed. And so that was kind of weird. But then also like restaurants and quick service restaurants were closed that I expect. And also some restaurants like close early. So basically starting at like 6 p.m. at any given park, you only will have one or two quick service restaurants that are still open to get food. And so, you know, everything is kind of shutting down early. And the airport was like this too. The pizza place at MCO's terminal was closed. So there was only two options for food instead of three. So you keep kind of running into these things and it makes the lines longer at the places that are still open. So you kind of get the worst of both worlds. You have less options and you have longer lines. And so that was something that I really noticed. And I'm hoping that as more people get vaccinated, as we really get on the other side of this thing, these things will open up because I did not realize how much I appreciated the flexibility in the past of kind of getting to go wherever I want to go whenever I want to go there. Because things were closed, you know, I had to be more proactive about planning. And that was a little bit less fun than it had been in the past. Yeah, I have to think that more things will be opening up soon. Obviously, the summer travel season, things getting better with vaccines. But just the fact that a lot of park passes have been really selling out lately means that they've got to expand some capacity pretty soon, you'd think, right? Yeah, I think so. But I also think I like hate to say this, but I do think Disney is balancing their bottom line right now. Right now, the parks are at 35% capacity. Well, on a given day, if a park was at 35% capacity in the past, Disney would still have everything open. But now they could say, well, it's 35% capacity. So we only need three out of our five quick service restaurants open. And they'll just leave it like that, right? Because they save money that way. Now that they're in a more money saving mentality, we may not see those things open if technically the three out of the five restaurants can cover it. And I think that's what I'm kind of worried about. They might not open as fast as we think just because technically the number of things they have open right now can cover the number of people that are in there. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I guess I question how long the diminished experience can can last, but it lasts as long as <laughs> Disney's trying to balance the books. Maybe maybe at the end of a quarter, a fiscal year <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Speaking of park pass reservations, I wanted to tell a quick story about just how things are like different now. Like in the past, well, number one, in the past when I took these trips with my kids, they didn't need tickets because they weren't three. So I could go wherever I wanted, which was easier. But because of the park pass reservation, it was like tough because I had locked in where we were going like months ago. However, on Wednesday, we were at Magic Kingdom and we went back to the hotel for a rest. And I saw that Hollywood Studios availability was open for thursday for our last day and i was like well she really wants to ride toy story mania again and so let me switch our park pass reservations switching park pass reservations is frankly a not so great system because what you have to do is you have to cancel your current reservations first and then book new ones so i canceled our magic kingdom reservations for thursday and i went to go book hollywood studio reservations however i didn't notice that there was no ap annual pass availability there was only select resort hotel availability for park pass reservations and so i got into the situation where i could only get my daughter a reservation for hollywood studios and i couldn't get one for myself so even though i was technically eligible for one because i was staying at the dolphin which is one of the resort hotels that gets that bucket of park pass reservation availability so i had to go to guest relations but you know i had a stressful like hour while I was waiting to get back to the parks because I was at the hotel when I did this to get that reservation for myself and my daughter. And so it just reminded me that like, it is really hard to do Disney spontaneously right now. You kind of just need to go with what your plans are and make the best out of it because I would have much rather gone to Magic Kingdom on the last day than have that hour of stress worried about whether I was going to be able to get that other Hollywood Studios pass or not. Yeah, excellent guidance. I mean, this is the limits of Disney IT sort of bumping up against having to plan for how many people are going to be in what park and all of this and you being in one bucket as an AP and her being in another bucket just makes things way too hard. So none of your usual instincts, Joe, I know it's hard, like wanting to, you know, hack it, fast pass, refresh it and all of that are going to serve, serve you well, I guess, in these weird times. So excellent, excellent tip. Yeah. And I should say that Guest Relations did it in like 30 seconds because they saw that I was staying at the Dolphin and I was eligible for that bucket. So it is just a computer issue because Disney's IT recognized me only as an annual pass holder and not as staying at the Dolphin, which is why I couldn't do it online by myself. Got it. Well, it sounds like it was a great trip, Joe. Overall, worth it. Would do it again. Yeah, I, I'm sad. I cannot do it again. This is my last three-year-old and I'm not going to have another three-year-old. It really is a wonderful age to take the kids. Of course, I would have rather taken her when she was 2.99 years old so that she would have been free. But like we've said many episodes, our Disney budget is pretty decent right now since we haven't gone for 15 months. And so I was happy to do it. She had a amazing time. She already is asking when we can go back. To me, that's a successful trip. And I think also the cutest thing was every night we would call home and she would kind of recount her day for everyone. And of course, as a three-year-old, some of the things she said did not make sense to my wife and the kids at home, but they made sense to me because she sees things and she interprets them differently than what she's actually seeing. For example, Toy Story Mania, she calls the pew pew ride um, because you're, you know, firing that slingshot and pew 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 
at uh, the targets. And so she told them that she went on the Pew Pew ride. And of course, they had no idea what she was talking about, but we knew. And so it was a great bonding time with my daughter. I really do think taking solo trips with kids is a great idea if you can swing it, just because that one-on-one time that you get to spend with kids, you know, and this isn't only for Disney World, this is just general advice. You know, that one-on-one time, uh, I've always really appreciated that with my kids. And uh, at Disney World, it's uh, all the better. All right, Joe, well said. Let's close it out with a Disney do or don't. What do you have for us? Okay, so I was kind of implying this before, but I would say for a Disney trip right now, do not let perfect be the enemy of the good. I think trying to switch to Hollywood Studios for that last day was really something that I didn't need to do. You know, we could have gone back to Magic Kingdom. It would have been fine. We would have been happy. You really want to just set your plan and then don't try to tweak it too much because you don't want to run into a situation where you cause yourself more stress, which I really didn't need to do. You know, with a three-year-old, she would not have cared where we were. And even in pre-pandemic Disney times, I think a lot of times families will let the perfect be the enemy of the good by trying to like completely optimize and maximize their trip. And that, of course, is what causes lots of familial stress for the people who, you know, are happy enough to do whatever. So just a reminder that, yes, Disney is a big investment money-wise, but just because you made that investment, don't try to make your trip perfect because sometimes um, you'll end up stressing yourself out more. So just enjoy the ride as much as you can. For sure. All right, so that does it for this episode. Hopefully that gives you a good overview of how Disney feels right now, at least from my perspective. If you're taking a trip to Disney and want to let us know your experiences, let us know DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com or you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Disney Deciphered, or on Twitter at WDWDeciphered. Like I said, next week's episode is going to be some more specific tips from the trip. Other than that, Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and I will see you stressed out at guest relations trying to get your park passes fixed. Thanks, Joe.